What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondewald, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have Ben Goldsmith. Ben is a comic book writer from Boston I met at the Baltimore Comic Con a few years back. If you've ever been to a big con like that, you'll notice all the things and all the people. As an artist or writer, you have a very finite amount of time to connect with those hundreds of people walking through the aisles, barely paying attention to what you're saying or what you're trying to peddle, on top of the fact that they're already being distracted by all the colors. Ben is amazing at making that genuine connection right away and got me hooked not only on his work, but all of SourcePoint Press. Ever since that first hook and interaction, I visited him and the rest of the SourcePoint Press crew any chance I got when they are in town for a con. Needless to say, I was very excited to be able to get him on the show, and it's a great conversation. We go into how he got into writing comics after pursuing acting and music in LA, believing in your own art, sobriety, and making an impact on the here and now. Ben is doing pre-orders for his first volume of his Seance Room book, collecting the first four issues. I highly recommend it. You can get it for 30% off with code APR202051. Again, that's APR202051. We also talk about his amazing postcards he does where he will write you a short story based on your greatest fear and mail it to you. I have mine hanging up above my dining room table and it's by far one of my favorite comic related things. For those of you that don't know, I lost hearing out of my right ear a few years back due to tinnitus and you really get that sense of impact of losing the rest of it. And I absolutely love the story. We talk about the emotional impact that you have and just that finite amount of words. Hit them up on Instagram at MrBinAU and get yourself a cool piece during the quarantine. Speaking of which, make sure to stay safe out there. And if anybody has any toilet paper, feel free to send me a roll. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. Because you're usually in the throes of your Comic Cons, aren't you? Oh, uh, buddy, yeah. This is the time right now. I would be deep in the uh, deep in the mud, for sure. <laughs> All wheels stuck in the mud, spinning out of control. That's what would be happening right now. What is the normal comic-con season for you is it starting in the the spring and basically all the way until the end of the year yeah yeah um yeah march to november that is pretty grueling because you're pretty much not home all throughout that time then right uh yeah i mean i get back for the i i still have to work a day job so i'm here monday through friday and then gone on the weekends yeah let's just say i i have a good standing with my American Express Delta card. <laughs> like I was saying, uh, we're going to go kind of through what got you started with comics and all the other stuff because you also released the the Seance Room record too. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. I have one and two for the Seance Room and then your one shot for Beyond the Sea, I think it was. Yep. Yep. Three and four 
have come out and RV9. Gotcha. Okay. Because the the only other thing that I saw, I think you were talking about putting like a volume together for the first four. Yeah. And we can, we can, if you want to talk about that, we can, but just, just so you know, like nothing's off the table, nothing you can, you can ask me like about like dead relatives if you want to. And, and, uh, and I'll, <laughs> I'll either tell you about it or just be like, Man, I don't really want to talk about that. And, and, you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty open book and, and I, you know, it, it's funny. I took a lot of improv classes and I think that that's really inspired a lot of how I, interact with people and even to the point where I've noticed so much now how often people will know a thing, which is that and I don't mean K N O W, I mean just N O. Uh they'll they'll shut something down. And even if it's something that you don't want to discuss, I think you owe people anyone well, within reason, a uh you know, at least an explanation of like that's you know so yeah anyway but so the point being uh, open book open book over here man i appreciate that because i think if you put a a wall up right away especially if you're trying to get your stuff out there and like your story out there if there's something that's in there that you just put a hard no on that kind of loses some of the chemistry possibly throughout everything else it's it's all it's off-putting too and then you know what you're doing is you're creating a conversation and the minute you say no to something even because you can the, the misunderstanding about that too is that you can disagree or not participate without saying no the, you know what i mean right the, it's the difference between this doesn't exist and you don't exist and i shut it out versus staying connected and staying present yeah that's just i mean that's just side philosophical tangent so one of the the first time that i met you i think it was baltimore comic-con or dc i don't remember I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Baltimore, but they do, those two do end up blending a lot. <laughs> but one of the things that I liked about that, cause that kind of goes with that, that philosophy that you were just talking about. So I, I didn't get into comics until about three or four years ago, yeah. I think at most. And one of the things that I've always wanted to do was go to a con and kind of figure it out. The first one I, I went to was actually San Francisco Comic Con, which was really cool. Cause that was their first one. And they had some of the Lucas arts, um, guys over there doing their own kind of books. So it was cool to kind of see some of that stuff that you you always think about Star Wars and all that stuff, but you don't think about all the other like individual artists that work there. Yeah, well, and to that point too, I mean, that's the reason people should go to Comic-Cons because I'm sure that uh, one out of every 20 people who went that day even knew what that was or cared what that was. And those other 19 people had their own thing that they cared about, right? This, uh, you know, that's the, when Comic-Cons do come back, uh, I, I just want people to know that about them if they've never been, because I don't, I don't know, you know, this podcast obviously focuses a lot more on music and musicians. So if they've never, if you've never been and you're in the position that Chris was in don't worry there's something for you there's something if you're you know a, a big time horror head if you're a big time uh, superhero nerd if you just love dragon ball z beyond limit tons of voice actors so yeah man that and that's the thing about them that i love so you got to go and you got to meet these lucasarts dudes who you know it, it's twofold one you're getting your rocks off in meeting these people who you dig and then for them you know getting someone to come up to them and, and say oh man i love what you do i love this thing and you man honestly you don't know if they haven't had anyone really tell them that in like a couple of years you know so it, it's so it's it's definitely for if you've never been to what I think I interrupted your point about. Uh, no, you're good. Go, yeah, definitely go to them. They they may seem overwhelming at first, but you know, 
remember that 100% of it isn't for you. It's that 10% that you really get that chance to dig in with all your heart. What I what I recognize the most is when you're going around there, you have artists that are kind of like the typical artist that's very talented, but still slightly mm-hmm. more introvert. And then you have the complete opposite of some of those people that are trying to get your attention while you're walking down those aisles. Well, I wouldn't know anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I I feel like it's a Comic-Con is very much like a shark pit or because you have to you have to like fight so much for the attention of hundreds of people that are just walking by your table literally every day for like two or three yeah, days. It's true. It's true. And then, you know, do your absolute best not to, if, if someone, if you, you know, put the bait out there and they, and they came over and they said, no, 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 thank you. I don't like that bait. Doing your absolute best to remember them so that you don't do that to them on Saturday or Sunday. Right. Because, you know, it, then it definitely comes off as disingenuine, uh, disingenuous. I'm a writer. I should know what <laughs> and then, um, and then any remote chance you had of maybe connecting with that person is gone. So yeah, man, it's and and you're right. There's like go to a convention. First of all, <clears throat> you're in a place that has fluorescent lights as like the baseline of color that's happening. So you already have this like overexertion of bright and color. Not to mention the fact that everyone's wearing costumes with color and all the booths have color and it's a lot of um, stimuli. And so, yeah, you have to cut through to people. And you know, my guess is with with you, I I probably just picked you out of the crowd and said, "Hey, can I show you something?" Right? Something to that effect. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that is that's what I found to be the most effective is is to just zero in on a per and usually there'll be you know I I I, I won't like cast too wide a net of people you know I I with the books that I have at the moment it's a very specific base and I'm not trying you know if I see uh you know not not to be disrespectful but we're being honest about how this process is let's let's say if I see a 60 year old man wearing a Spider Man T shirt like I'm not gonna call him over usually because that guy's there because he's reliving his youth. Yeah, he's probably not your cup of tea or vice versa. And, and I will say, I am always pleasantly surprised by people. One, of, There's one, uh, my, the <laughs> actually, this is the the first person to ever buy my, my book Seance Room at a convention when the, just the first one was out was this uh, sh- short, older lady, and, and like uh, older, probably like in her like, in her 60s, I, I believe. Uh, we never, we don't discuss these things. We're not. No, for gentlemen, uh, right. and uh, and she came over and she bought it, and you know what? To this day, she's like we. When every time I see her, it's in Detroit. Every time I see her, it is she is she is known as the number one fan, like the first one. So there are times where it will surprise you, but you know, certainly you're playing an odds game and a numbers game. So, but I'll call someone over and it's a direct connection of, Hey, you, uh, there's something about you. I think you might like this and let's, cause at the same time, I have to talk to you for, you know, let's say minimum one minute. So that's right. That's a minute of my life that I, I have to exist in. So, yeah, you know, so it, there's, there is an element of this presence, even though, it would at face value seem like a very repetitive and, and sort of faceless endeavor, you know, of just, you, you think about it like a machine, but it, it's, it's a mix of things, right? It's like anything, but, um, so I work in sales, right? Yeah. So I, I completely understand what you're saying as far as kind of that repetition and it's the same pitch pretty much every single time. And you have to connect with that person in a very short amount of time to kind of gain their trust really quickly. You are, you're over at Verizon, right? 
Yeah, yes. You got oh. it. Yep. Yeah. Good job. Good job. I'm proud <laughs> Thank of you. Thank you. But what I was going to say is I think for me that has kind of a sales background. When I go into a Comic-Con, what I'm looking at are the ones that talk to me and talk to me in a genuine way, like what you were talking yeah, about. Right? right. But the ones, the ones that are kind of just there and are, are just showing their art and not really doing anything to engage the person that's walking by. I kind of like, I look at that as a very big missed opportunity and something that they as an artist or as a brand need to work on. Right. Yeah. The other things that I've noticed though, going through those is that sometimes people will hire those great extroverts that are talking to everybody and then the artist is still just chilling out by themselves yeah and then we'll get into the conversation which i like because i think that's smart and then you have people that are like yourself where you're kind of well-rounded and everything and it, it sounds like you have been able to develop this maybe like quick elevator pitch and to kind of pick out who you want to say hey this is my work would you mind looking at it real quick? It's interesting too, because I have seen those introverted guys and, um, you know, it always helps when they have credits, you know, if they're Marvel or DC stuff and people will sort of come up to them no matter what. But the, the, the trick then about that is then the conversion rate, which I don't understand how they would do is because, all right, so you have some, all right, uh, last New York comic-con, I did what you just said. I was brought on by a very good friend of mine who is a very talented guy. I, I don't think he minds me saying. Uh, this, this artist named Jay Fawziet. Now, Jay has drawn everything from the Jim Henson Muppet comic books to Disney. He's working on Disney comic books right now. Uh, he did Rocket and Groot for um, Marvel. Uh, you know, the, the guy is just, he's, he's at where he belongs and he's that talented so this is a guy who he gets people coming to him all the time just because of his previous work and then right. they'll know it and they'll bring up a book and they'll be like hey can you sign my book and then what i did for him at new york uh was i uh, the conversion right so you say okay you got a people come up because they already know what you do but do they walk away with a thing that they didn't bring you to sign that's what i look at so every because my thing is every single time someone comes up to your table for you to get you to sign something that They've already told you, I like what you do, which for me, half of what I'm doing is asking you to like what I do when I sell when right. I sell you Seance Room or RV9 or Beyond the Demon the Sea, you know, or second place coming up. That that's me asking you to get on board as much as as much as giving me money for that thing, then. You know, that's a two-part. But for those guys, that's already established. So that's what I did for Jay in New York. And he he walked away with his best total. Of not only of New York, but I think of the year. But that's not how. See, and it's tricky because that's not how Jay thinks. Jay, uh, Jay, when he's working, he's he's put himself wholly into that work. You know, right. and I think that's right. that's a little tricky too. Because as an artist, you know, you're drawing and your head's down because you're focused on a thing, and you don't always have the wherewithal to notice that someone has stopped for two seconds more to look at a cover of a thing that you've worked on, and that's an opportunity right there. You know, whereas the writer, for me. Like my, my bit's done. Yeah, you're you're just words on a page at that point, and you have your option to try to sell those words more, or basically kind of do what he's doing and sit back and and hope for the best. Yeah, and, and you know, so I certainly as uh, year five for me in in 
any sort of form of saying that I I, I am in, in in comic books, right? Um, sure. The one thing I've, I've started to you know is is everything's relative, right? Einstein he 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 was no dummy. He knew it. You know, <laughs> it's it's the theory of relativity, right? Like everything is relative because some of those cats with their heads down, uh, they're working on a commission that just netted them fifteen hundred dollars. Right. So whereas I'm going for sales of a, a four dollar book at multiple, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out, get those $4. These guys have, you know, so it's a different game in a lot of ways too. And you just have to appreciate and see how, how that, what, what that business is and then try to, um, so yeah. So the, yeah, I mean, is this, I hope this is interesting for anyone. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, it's interesting for me and that's all that really matters. (laughs) So that's, that's, it's fine. But I think, I think it's, uh, because comics have, have become such a a bigger business with all the MCU stuff. And there's been a, I think a bigger resurgence in the past, 10, 15 years because of that. I think it's interesting to see some of the the artists that have been around for years and years and years still going out to these big cons. And I think the cons are growing too. Like in Maryland, we have a local one that keeps creeping up a little bit bigger and bigger. And then we have the Baltimore one, we have a DC one, and we have some other ones that are are a little bit more regional. And they keep popping up more and more and people keep going to them to kind of like like that older older uh, Spider-Man fan to relive some of their youth but also you know there's so many kids and so many new fans coming out that I think it's it's interesting that you have these huge comic cons and when I when I was going to Baltimore what I noticed is that there's a bunch of like the the setup artists like Jay right there's bunch of traditional voice actors there's all all the celebrities there's all the merchandise that you could ever see in your entire life that's there's so much and then you also have the independence which i think is the most interesting out of all of oh, it oh well i'm glad you feel that way yeah cuz i think that's where all the the proper not proper work but i think that's where all the passion is coming from well it's certainly uh you know to the theme of your podcast it is uh in a lot of ways where the most ambition lies because the price of admission physically, mentally, and financially to get to the place where you are showing off your work in this convention in a city you don't live to a person you've never met is quite taxing. Yeah. And if you look at it, so to kind of compare this to music where you're going on tour all the time and most of the band members may not even want to talk to anybody else, but they might have a merch guy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the one that's selling everything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand where you got to figure out what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. Yeah, and and then don't forget that let's say you're the you're in the band and there's five guys in the band and one of them is the consummate seller. He's the strong guy. Even if you're not the strong guy, remember you can feed the strong guy, get people over and then send him his way, you know, and even if you're the absolute most introverted human in the existence of humanity, all you want to do is play bass and and to you everything else means nothing and it's it's superfluous to the music. You got to remember that 
you have to be a support system somehow. So like, even if you're sitting there with the cash box and just existing and, and even if you're signing the album and doing nothing else because someone bought the album and they got all five band members signatures on it, then you've created an experience, which will then create a fan. No matter what your strengths are or your weaknesses, remember that you have a part to play. All you're doing is you're saying, let me do my absolute best to create more opportunity to do the thing I really like. Yep. That's yep. I like that's that. the way to look at it. And if you're not um, you're not maximizing optimizing your time and you are uh, you're doing your art a disservice. Right. Okay. That would be like if I wrote the greatest comic book of all time and then printed it on the shittiest paper possible. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Um, and yeah. if you don't think about it that way, you are even even if you're the guy who, you know, art art over everything, man. Like all this all this bullshit that comes. It shouldn't matter, man. It's about the music. Well, the the truth is, like, if you truly in your heart of hearts believe that, you'll do everything you can to facilitate that music. That's where I think gets lost the most. And I'm sorry to no, cut no, you no, off, yeah, but I think that's the the biggest piece that gets lost the most and, and doing this, this show for, you know, a year and a half, almost two years. Um, if you don't treat your art like a business or treat your art with that goal to get to as many people as I can, you can be like the best that you can be, but you're not going to spread your message out a little bit more. And that gets, a little hairy where I want to be this true artist. I want to be able to do everything that I can to make good art, but who's going to see it? Is it just going to be you and your mom? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's interesting and we'll, we'll do this. I want to know how you got into comics, okay. how you got into writing and then kind of go from there because you've established yourself as a horror writer. You're doing really interesting projects from what I'm seeing. So the seance room is completely different from beyond the demon of the sea. Is that what yeah, it is? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I can tell you uh, both my parents are very wealthy and I had nothing to worry about. So I just did whatever I wanted. Oh, oh good. So, uh, okay. <laughs> that's no, not, not even a little bit. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those Boston <laughs> Ivy league schools and you're not from Southie or you're, you're from like the, the nice oh, yeah, place. No, I was born just South. I was born on the Harvard quad. Um, Oh, my okay. mom gave birth to me while reading um, Lipschitz out loud, uh, <laughs> and we since then it's just been nothing but silver spoons, my friend, and they taste good. Uh, no, <laughs> we we <laughs> I grew up. I no no no. My my dad's from Quincy. Um, my mom was from Framingham. We you know middle middle class definitely no complaints, but certainly not uh, a family that ever understood art really got it, but they were always supportive. And, um, I went to school for theater, uh, moved to LA, did, did put my hand in there. I did some musicals, did, got some decent work, you know, got sad, got after it, got on some TV shows and had a, had a good time with it. But really, you know, I kind of, after a lot, of, I, like I would get these opportunities. Like I would go up to, I got a, a meeting with the head of casting at ABC, uh, at and, and, and he, we, we sat down for an interview and like, he sent me up to these different people and like nothing ever kind of came of it. And I think a part of that was because Really, at the end of the day, I didn't. I wasn't that passionate. I didn't believe in myself enough in that respect. Sure, and so that's why it never. 
I don't think it ever did more than it. It did probably about what my belief in it was. Like it capped out at where my head was at. And during this whole time, I was getting back into comics around the New 52 era. So I understand where you're saying is that, you know, we all have our jumping on points, I think. And from there, I think if I just stuck to DC and Marvel, I probably would have bowed out because I don't read anything from DC or Marvel. Right. But I was able to meet these really interesting cats out in LA. And then I moved to New York for just a little bit. And uh, I started reading these books, you know, like by Dean Haspiel, who I consider one of the living legends of comic books. And um, he was, he's actually nice enough. He put a pull. I have the graphic novel of Sandstorm coming out. I got three of, this just happened this week. I got three of my heroes to put uh, quotes on the book for me. And, Congratulations. Thank you, man. Yeah, I got uh, Ben Templesmith, who is, uh, do you know his work at all? He did 30 Days of Night. Okay. Kind of, yeah. He got, he's the artist for that. He kind of got, that's where he got his, like, made his his uh, buck there. But he, but since then, the stuff he's been putting out is uh, seminal. Like, it needs to be read. And then Mark Russell, who uh, is kind of reinventing a lot of stuff right now. Like, he did the Flintstones and the Wonder Twins. He, he he's, he's one of those rare. He's doing Second Coming right now, which is comparing uh, superhero mythos to Jesus mythos in the modern era and what we should be focusing on. Um, and it's, I mean, he's, he, so he's doing stunning work. And then Dean, Dean did a, so I got these three heroes of mine to do that. And even that alone sort of tells me that this is probably where I belong, because to me, that would be like making a movie with Paul Giamatti. You right. know, Clive, you know, the, the like really true, true, true actors. So I sort of started to transition and uh, I got to meet these these guys early, you know, by going. I would go, I'd be, you know, I'd be in New York, it'd be in my apartment, and a friend of mine would introduce me to someone who'd be like, oh, yeah, they do this podcast in New York called, you know, Comic Book Podcast, and they have live people on there. So I would go once and I'd, I'd be like, okay. And I'd put myself out there, even though I knew no one, and I'd go and I'd meet them. And uh, I would, I would, you know, they would give out $25 for free to Midtown Comics, which at the time it, I was like uh, a godsend, you know, being broke and being in the city. Yeah. So I would go sometimes just to get the free gift certificate that they would do for Q&As. And uh, <laughs> they, that's I mean that that's one way to do it definitely I like I that still I'm not above it I would probably still do it if I there. <laughs> I mean twenty five dollars is twenty five dollars exactly right <laughs> and I didn't I didn't have to do anything except for just talk about comics to get so they were right. fine I, I mean I guess be be a little shameless because they they at a certain point they'd be like oh, aren't you um, but, <laughs> yeah we've seen you enough <laughs> you know but then so I'd, I'd put myself out there and I'd go to conventions and I'd put myself out there and I'd say hi I'm I'm Ben and I have this idea and I you know and and that's how I met Kayla, who did the art for Seance Room, and then got, and then I met uh, Source Point Press at a convention in Boston, and I've been following them online, you know, because then I think the my the 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 one like lesson story I would say, if anyone gives a flying fuck, is that uh, <laughs> those like Jack Black, <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go, so, which made its way into Adam Sandler at the end. I'm not an actor anymore. I mean, I think that you did a great medley right oh, there. Thank you. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> that's my. I'll, 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 yeah, exactly. I don't do singular impressions. I do medleys of impressions, <laughs> uh, little snippets of each. And then, well, it's like Dana Carvey says that the only way he does impressions is by just saying the name of the person he's doing the impression of. <laughs> right. It, right. You know. Uh, so, so again, putting yourself out there for things. I, I submitted my script to this online. Uh, this 
re- review thing where they would take the script and they would sort of like pick it apart and show you. And they would do that online. And uh, I got the, the I, you know, they, they picked mine one. And I was like, oh. and so I went on and the response was they, they read the first page of it and then said, we're not even bothering with the rest of this was there what they wrote on it in on on online. So that was my first real rejection and uh i was pretty despondent over it so i reached out to someone who i knew who worked for the company that that was through and i said you know what was and they were like well here's the thing is like you know this is what they believe it's a thing um follow up to that to the you know so then following up uh, i was like well what did how about this this one guy joe mulvey who works there and is now one of the uh one of the uppers there and he's one of the most talented guys that i know whatever i mean really 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 solid dude in in indie comics and uh Mm -hmm. not just as a as a professional but like as a human too like i i he was there there are a handful of people who were nice to me in the beginning who had no right to be but just were and joe will always be one of those people so um you know, he was like, well, I have Twitter and I have this following, so at least I have that if this doesn't show up. And then, you know, some companies look for that. So I said, okay. So I started a Twitter, which I don't use anymore. I just use Instagram, at uh, MrBenAU. But I started it and started following people. And one of these guys I followed was this guy, Sean Seal, who I loved his artwork. It was very painterly, which, uh, as you now know from reading Seance Room, that's kind of what I like. And right. and uh, found out that he was in Boston uh, with SourcePoint Press. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. So I went up to the table and he's a pretty shy guy too, but I was just so happy that I met an artist who I really liked. And then he introduced me to Travis and Travis is the editor in chief at SourcePoint Press. And uh, the rest is history from there. But it all came from this rejection and learning a lesson and keeping putting myself out there and knowing, you know, because the knowing that I'm good enough, because the follow up to that, too, is that that comic book that was the script, uh, I'm now working on that script with Ian Chase Nichols, who is the artist for The Tick. That's fantastic. And I knew in my heart of hearts that they were wrong, even though that company puts out quality product. And one of their artists, Cesar Feliciano, he and I are working on a book called Chongo that got funded by Kickstarter, two double-sized comics, and the first one got funded. So we're actually just waiting on the colors for that right now. And he is one of the artists for that same company. So it's a company that I respect, but I I know that I disagree with that uh, assessment of the comic because it's not that comic for that company. And realizing that it wasn't for them and that this is something different but that comes from not just blind, uh, like unearned self-esteem. That comes from looking at the market, understanding what their market was, understanding the market that I'm trying to reach with this other thing, and knowing that they were not the same thing, and that I should not have actually put that one there. You know, it comes it comes from self-reflection and research. Do you think that you would have thought that or felt that way if you hadn't gone through some of the stuff in LA as far as the acting goes? I probably would have quit. I probably yeah, probably would have quit. It was the first real big rejection and I was looking for some serious acceptance. And I think that yeah, had I not gone through so much rejection previously, I probably would have just quit right there and then. And there are times now too where it's like even going to conventions stuff I you know, I think it cost me more money to go to conventions and do all the stuff than I really make. Like I still have a day job Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends I work, I have a job that I can work thankfully weekends when I'm not at conventions. So I'm, I'm, there's not, uh, with the exception of right now, there is not a time where I'm not working seven days a week, if not conventions at my job. And that comes from, uh, stupidity on my part. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from, 
Stubbornness. No, you know what? It comes from the same thing that I'm, I'm, you know what? I bet I would put money on the fact that everyone you've had on here, when they talk about the reason they do the thing they do, or if we were to get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's because there is something in all of us that realizes that life is essentially pointless and that we have to make it our own. And we all watched our parents and we all watched everyone else go through their lives. And for some people, it's okay that it's pointless and it's okay to have a job and have a family and just, you know, re integrate the same things that have humans have been doing over and over and over again. And then for some of us, it's, it's not enough. And we'd, we'd rather die knowing we put something more into the world than we took out. And, uh, yeah, you know, so it's, it's a stubbornness, but it's also, I wouldn't say it's a calling as much as it's just looking at the facts of the situation and saying, I'm not okay with how this is. I like that. And it's it's also just like an idea that you may have in the back of your mind that doesn't go away, where it's, it's just these thoughts that you, you keep coming across. Like I've, I've had this podcast idea for five or six years. And then before that, I used to book shows. And it's always been this, this idea of me giving back to whatever kind of art that I'm taking in. Well, that's fantastic, man. Because you, I mean, especially, you know, more, more selfishly for me, because now (laughs) I get to reach, you know, a a new audience that I didn't get to reach before, or or at the very least, I get to talk to a person like you who I hadn't talked to before. And, you know, I get to espouse my thoughts and pretend that I'm important for about five seconds, you know, and then, uh, (laughs) you know, but, but, but you're right. I mean, there is, there are some things that get stuck in your craw and until you get them out, you don't feel right. And, uh, I think, I think some people, they're okay with being, you know, letting that feeling come and pass and, and letting that thing go. But I, I, this, I, I, you know, again, I, I'm not because I don't think there's more to it than that. I don't, I'm, I don't believe in an afterlife. I don't believe for a guy who writes about ghosts. I don't believe in an afterlife. Uh, and <laughs> that's gotta be one of the more like, not ironic, but it's just gotta be one of the, the more ridiculous things. I don't believe in the afterlife, but I'll write but I'll it. Write, I'll write, I'll write, I'll write it like hell. Yeah. I, uh, I actually just finished a novel, which is, which is being published this year called the book of Dave, which is about this cat who he lives, I mean, he's a human, he's a guy, I just <laughs> using the term cat. He, uh, it's not about Heathcliff. It's a, it's about, it's about Heathcliff just reading books. Uh, it's, it's a real, my dinner with Andre, but with Heathcliff, the cat. No, um, <laughs> he, so, you know, the book of Dave, he, uh, lives in this town where they believe that this God, Dave is coming back. It's been foretold. And then, uh, and what happens when he doesn't, and it's about, Sort of about doomsday cults uh, and and what they go through when their doomsday prophecies don't come true. Sort of the uh, psychological gymnastics that come along with that. It's rough. It's it's a lot. Yeah. It's it, well. It's super. Oh my god. Super interesting. Like if you even do a, a modicum of research about what happens to these, you know, the um, there was there's a couple of them, right? Like uh, like the Haley's Comic Group actually did go through. Yeah, Heaven's, Heaven's Gate. Gate. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. did through, but yep. then some of the people who didn't, and their their stories about like what they and you'd think, right? You first thought is, oh, well, they would move on, but no, there is there's so much more to it than that. And um, well, they break you down so much as a person that that's literally all you have. Like that belief is all you have. It's it's a it's a uh, it's called cognitive dissonance. Is when you have information that when presented with new information or contradicting information, you will do everything in your power 
to expel it through your own beliefs already held. There's a condition, starts with a C, where you believe you're dead and nothing can get you out of that funk. You, you're just, that's what you believe. That's that's where you're at. People think that they are dead. They are living, they're, but they're dead. And this doctor one time, he went in and he, he reasoned out with this dead person who he was talking to who thought they were dead. He said, you know, do dead people bleed? He said, no, 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 dead people, dead people don't bleed. We're dead. We're dead people. And he cuts the guy. He fucking cuts him, right? Can I swear? Yeah, yeah, you've been doing it this entire oh, time, and I don't oh, care. Oh, jeez, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that's okay. Oopsies. That's okay. Uh, so, cuts the guy, and uh, and 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 he and he said, "Well, you're bleeding." And the guy looks at it. The coat uh, It's a Cotard's syndrome. Thank you, Cotard's syndrome. And he he looks at the guy uh, who has just cut him and presented him with this new information, and his response was, "Oh." Well, I guess dead people bleed. Wow. So, so instead of accepting the new information to uh, suss out the old beliefs, he founded this new information based on old beliefs. So that kind of comes into play a lot with this with the doomsday cults, this this idea, uh, this cognitive dissonance. Uh, so I've been working on that too. And, and again, like not believing in an afterlife, that one I guess more fits towards uh, my viewpoint, the, but the ghosts in general, like I, I've always said that if they exist and, uh, and I see one one day, I'll be thrilled, but it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 present me with new information and I will change my mind. That's, that's where I'm at. That's what you have to do. Like if, if you're trying to still grow as a human, you have to still be able to accept information and not just be like, no, like that, <laughs> I'm not believing that or manipulate it in a way to fit your viewpoint. Yeah. And it's really not, you, you it's, it sucks when you realize that you have been doing that because we all do it. It's scary. It's scary to think that we're all capable of it because at this moment, what are we ignoring that we shouldn't, you know, and my, my fiance, you know, I, I'm a, I'll be, I'm stubborn. I'm from new England and I'm a, Leo and I, I am a writer. Oh, you're one of those, huh? You're you're one of those astrologists. Uh, no, uh, well, uh, yeah, I guess probably like I don't know, like a fifty-fifty. Uh, like all right, Leo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, it, it's but but it's all to say that I I am a, a sort of a stubborn person, and when my fiance will tell me something, no, 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 and then like a day later, I'll be like, ah, fuck. you know, and, <laughs> and and then have to admit, but she's she's really good about she's she's good about like pushing me in the right way because otherwise i uh yeah but but i but it's but then it becomes scary of oh my god i can't believe i didn't see that and i'm and then i'm uh, i'm right. sorry i should have i'm you know uh, again it's like when presented with the new information I, I will accept it but it does it does take me a little bit of time and you know for anyone who's listening if you are that type of way just just notice yourself and be like how much of how much time do i take and you know uh, it's it's fine. Like you have to work through your shit in your way, but definitely noticing things helps. But uh, uh, maybe that's just because as a writer, I'm always trying to mine this stuff. You know, I I'm noticing, I'll go, Oh, that's a thing. And no, oh, I can, how can I use that? So it's a little, it's a little, uh, I'd say like cannibalistic. <laughs> let's, let's make it nicer by saying introspective. Okay, sure. Thanks. So that, that gussy up there, that was nice. Yeah. Because if I would imagine if you are, writing in all these different scenarios because you you like what you're talking about so you have your death cult in the seance room you have this mysterious house where anybody that goes in there is basically fucked and uh terrible things happen to them uh it's great but uh, <laughs> Thanks, uh and then you have um beyond the sea which is really even that sea madness yeah right? so that that is 
because now that I'm starting to branch out a little bit, it's nice that I get to play, right? Like, because um, that Beyond the Demon of the Sea, the, the entire concept of that too is that it's tattoo art, right? Like, that's the big selling point. I open up that book and I don't even have to tell people too much about it. All I have to do is open it and show people that the interior is done completely in tattoo art. And that, and it's nautical, old school, Sailor Jerry. Traditional, traditional yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so people, they get, you know, kick out of that and that book sells just for that alone, right? But when you read it, uh, you'll notice that, yeah, that the sea madness. And what that is, is that is a um, pastiche of the uh, uh, Victorian style horror, which because at the time they didn't really know much about psychological matters. They were very, I mean, as ill-equipped as we are to describe what the brain does and what its function is. Oh my God, they were even worse. Right. So, right. Uh, and, and, and the, the most dangerous way too, because they were at the precipice of it. So, it's like you want to know the most while knowing the least, and that is a dangerous place to be. Yeah, because you have people that are doing mobile lobotomies. Mo- yeah, 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 exactly. Right. You're yes, yeah, 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 and 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 prescribing them and being like, well, this this is the way forward. So yeah, so in during that time period, you find that a lot of the horror focused on madness, and that's because for them that was the most misunderstood element of existence. So when writing this book, that was the focus, is to take it and to put it into a lens of the Victorian-style horror, whereas Seance Room is much more modern. Right. And then you have... uh you said the book of the Dave. Yeah, the book of Dave. Yep, yeah, which should be coming out this year. Uh, and that's and that's a prose novel. That's a novel novel. Is that your first one? Uh, y- yeah, I guess that would be the first published one. Because what um, and I haven't read RV Nine, unfortunately. That came out with Mad Cave, and that was a, that's an assassin book. Okay. And that one is interesting because it I didn't have complete creative control over that in terms of from beginning to end. So there are little things that like you know a certain person's hair color changes from panel to panel and i think that that doesn't help you know and it's uh it's a little messy i think and 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 they treated me very well mad cave did they treated me very well and and they paid for the book and they i got to meet some incredible artists and everything but i just realized that i'm definitely more of a person who needs to have kind of full control from beginning to end sure uh comic comics is such a specific genre because a lot of the story is being told visually so i can write words but those the words that i write aren't telling the whole story they're just telling a part of the story and sometimes they're telling against the story uh and and it's more about the subtext of what is the opposite of being said based on the way that the panel is positioned. So if that position isn't there, then all of a sudden that panel doesn't work, the story doesn't work, the line that i wrote doesn't work. So it's I've just I've realized that about myself, and um, and that is okay. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that's interesting. So we were talking a little bit about that introspective piece, and I think writing in different styles or, or kind of researching different things will help you get a bigger, grand view of the world, and will help kind of mold you into that. And then you're already coming from a form of art in LA where rejection is one of the bigger pieces of that. And you're able to have kind of a mature standpoint when you're getting into comics, which I think is really important and be able to kind of step back a little bit while you're going through everything. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want people listening to this to think like, Oh, he certainly learned his lesson early and was a picture perfect human from that point. (laughs) You know, I, I've, I've fucked up too. Well, the the stubbornness is still a thing, right? The stubbornness is still a thing. And, And that part of that is what drives the, the, creative focus. Um, and, and now it's a matter of understanding when that's 
a help and when it's a hindrance. Like um, I, so I, I am now completely sober of alcohol for it's going on four months. Congratulations. Thanks, dude. And I've tried it before and it never took, but this time it took. I've been reading this book called The Naked Mind, which breaks down a lot of the science behind alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And for me, it was not helpful. Like I was missing entire days of conventions being hung over. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And but that that's, you know, neither here nor there. That I mean, the point being is that the stubbornness of I, I, I fucked up. I still fucked up, you know, and 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 still learn and still grow and uh, try to be a better uh, teammate and a better person and all this kind of stuff. So even though you know I've had a lot of success, you know, I'm still still learning those things. And uh, yeah, so so it it, it didn't it, I, it certainly did not end uh, at the switch over from LA theater stuff to comic stuff. <laughs> right. it, it you know, but but they were different challenges and and sort of unsmooth stones that remained that needed smoothing out. I uh, I've been sober for almost three years. Oh wow! Okay, great. Yeah. I have a I have someone to look forward to there. Yeah. So. Nice. Uh, Instead of like that traditional though of that before and after where you just like fix your whole life and you buy a house, get your shit together, maybe get in shape. I uh, I look worse than I did before. Fantastic. So that's that's great. Do you like do you like to do that just so people don't believe you when you tell them so that they have to <laughs> yeah? Ask I guess so. Questions? I guess so. Uh, yeah. I, I I got into eating more. You got you got into it like it was like yeah. Before friends were like, hey uh, Chris, you know what man? I've been trying this thing called eating more lately, and it's, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. working for me. And you're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't believe. And then finally one day you were like, oh, I'll take I'll take up June on her advice. There you got right. You, you got into it like how people get into juicing. You were like, ah, oh, I might as well try Doritos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's basically hey, yeah, yeah. it. So uh, cool. I was trying to figure out where all my money was still going. <laughs> and then I just look at my gut and was like, oh, yeah, that's oh, there it. it is. <laughs> but I, I found that I, I sleep way better. And that's that's really the, the biggest piece of it. I don't know if uh, if that's something that you found yet. I don't know if you remember like the first, like, you know, three, four months of it. And, uh, but it wasn't, certainly wasn't an instant. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I was fucking my life up. Uh, <laughs> I have been drinking since I was 16 and haven't really stopped since for a day. You know, it wasn't that moment of clarity. It was, yeah, I guess little pieces of, Oh, I, I have more energy now. And Oh yeah, that's right. I haven't been snoring and waking up my partner and yep. oh, oh, the, you know, I, I, I'm able to wake up and create almost immediately in, in, in and uh oh i don't i don't feel guilt about what i may have said done texted or forgot to do uh and then i spend 20 minutes in the morning feeling guilty about it and then another 20 fixing it yeah because if you're if you're a terrible person and you're at least like conscious about being a terrible person like i am it's fine you accept <laughs> it it's okay that's the get out of jail free card of life. Yeah, I just have to tell everybody I suck. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. You hopped on it and uh, enjoy it. I guess. It's, it's, I mean, it, it's true. I, I will. You know, now I don't have that uh, scapegoat anymore. Of right. Like, well, old Jackie Daniels is the one who you got to blame for that, baby. That was not me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't have that scapegoat anymore. Now I have to. You have to admit, like, oh no, I I'm a selfish person in these instances. Right. But but again, you know, it, it does. It's like it's like anything, right? Like I'm a good salesperson. Uh, but being a good salesperson, you know, it has negatives and positives. I, I, again, relativity. Everything is perspective, and if. You are in a line of work that is creative, that is not easy. You have to find the perspective that helps you exist 
in a positive manner. Otherwise, truly, your life will be worse. You know, and it, it's tough too because now. Again, not not to harp on this because I, I don't I don't want to be the person who is who sings the praises of sobriety, especially not only after just four months, but you know that's that's good. All the people that I worship were people who were drop dead drunks who died, you know. And it's hard not to want to be that and to be the person who is able to create and move forward and be a peaceful person and happy with themselves. And when for so long part of the mentality was I'm a fuck up, the world sees me as a fuck up. And that's why it's okay that I create because only fuck ups create, right? Like that's the mentality is like that art is suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I still fight that. Like I, I you know, I'm, I'm working on this book project for a gentleman right now, and um, he's paying me uh, for to to write this book for him, and it's it's going very well, and I'm happy. And but literally every time I cash a check, that. And, and and he pay, again, he pays me well. He pays me what I deserve, really. There's a, there's a part of me that's like, well, this isn't art. You know, you don't get paid for art. And I and I've had to fight through that. And I don't think that if I was if I was drinking still, I don't think that I would be able to accept that because it would all still part be, be part of the process of like you suffer for your art. You know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's interesting. You don't want to feel like a sellout, right? But you mm-hmm. also have to realize what your worth is, and that you are putting your heart and soul into this and you are doing as much as you can. And it's just like Jay getting a commission for $1,500. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's still like his talent by itself is worth that money. Your talent by yourself is worth that money. And then you're able to, I guess, wrestle with the fact that maybe I'm a sellout, but it feels okay. Yeah. Well, you know, as much as I love, like my my favorite, uh, you know, you you talk to a lot of musicians on here, right? And I, I, we, you alluded to the fact earlier that I have the Seance Room album because I was oh, yeah. part of. Aside from the acting, part of it was I was going to be a musician, right? Like I was playing for uh, Rostrum Records, who is the record company that Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller were a part of, and uh, I got to play guitar for those guys. And I was playing guitar around LA a lot. I got to you know meet a lot of really cool people and uh, play, you know. And that was my big thing is I wanted to be like a, one of those musician actory people. Uh, so, but I took guitar and I, t- I take guitar and music very serious. And so my, my heroes, like my hero is Elliot Smith. So there's like the prime example of a dude who fucking went off the deep end, couldn't get his shit together and, you know, lost his life because of the the suffering. So and that's what I grew up idolizing. So it's tough. It's tough when you kill your heroes, even yeah. though, even though he already killed himself. So, <laughs> right. But you have to, you have to do it in your own mind still. You have to kind of wrestle with that. So I, I think that's still a good point where it is, you know, definitely kill your idols and, and kind of figure out what works for you specifically too. Yeah, man. And I'm, I'm smack dab in the middle of that process right now, right, right here, uh, on, on considerably less choppy seas, but still sailing. With that being said, we, we talk about like, art is pain and suffering and all that stuff. And as as a musical background and then also an acting background that you have, you have probably seen some of these artists that have got happy and their art has maybe kind of suffered at the same time. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you think about? Um, for ch- not with... I've been... Okay, avoiding that. And the, uh, the reason I'm even taking the time to pause about this, I'm realizing, is because I don't even want to jinx it. You know, this is like verbally knocking on wood because I have been able to avoid that so far. Uh, I'm still operating at what I consider full capacity for creative endeavors. Um, 
Because because a big part of the difference would be that a lot of this is maybe conjecture, but a lot of that stuff is biographical. Okay. So when someone gets happy, the biography is not as fun to read, right? Versus what I do is I work in other people's laboratories. I I go to the the seance room and I get to work there and I get to go to um right now we have a book coming out a comic book coming out which is a four-part series about bodybuilding aliens done in mockumentary style <laughs> you know so they have like they talk to the camera uh they you know all all that kind of stuff so we so that and that I get to play in that laboratory are they going to pump you up uh oh, dude you bet your ass they're going to pump you up <laughs> Oh, buddy. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so th- there's a lot of different places I get to play in. So it never it never felt like if I change, then things were going to suffer because nothing was ever me to begin with. That makes sense because you're able to kind of put yourself into these different headspaces, these different worlds to write in. Yeah. Like I, another of my favorite artists is um, Death Cab for Cutie. And, okay. and there is a definitive difference between when Ben Gibbard was sad and then when Ben Gibbard was happy. And then, <laughs> you know, and then arguably, like, the better stuff he did was always sadder, right? And even recently, like, when he uh, broke up with Zoe de Chanel and then they did uh, uh, the, the, the Kitsugi, right, was the album that came back after he had gone through this messy divorce. And, and that was fucking gorgeous. And then he did another album after that, and that album sucked big balls, you know? And <laughs> so <laughs> there definitely you know there's there's certainly some truth to that and and when it i think and again this is just my conjecture is that when it's a biographical of biographical nature uh the art does suffer but but why should it i don't know i haven't thought about it enough and i have no real i have no real good answers for that it makes sense because you're able like i said to change your headspace almost for certainly for me if i'm taking this off of the grander scale of things like yeah for me that's why it's been okay so i've, I've been able to get happy and 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 also it's not that i i got happy i guess i guess accepted things more so it's i'm not there's still honesty to it because i haven't gone full fucking listening to like self-motivation tapes <laughs> where where you're manufacturing happiness in, right right instead of because that's that's the that's the polar swing, right? Like that's the polar swing in the other direction. And, you know, Randy Newman is another, that's another one of my absolute heroes. And I think he aged extremely gracefully uh, with his music and the stuff he writes. And, and there's still a sentimentality to it and there's still a a sadness, but there's an honesty to it. And, you know, that's, I think that's kind of where I'm sitting is I, there's no manufactured happiness. Like I'm silly and goofy and I love to be those things, especially when you guys meet me in person, you know, I'll be honest with you too. And yeah, it's, 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 it's more of an acceptance. And so anyway, I, all I know is I, in the the three, you know, three going on four months since I've started to, since I haven't had anything to drink, I haven't lost that spark. Uh, And again, knock on wood. And I, I do think it's because I'm able to nothing, nothing falls back on me, right? Like everything falls back on Harry Weiss, the guy who runs the seance room or everything falls right, for, right. for Rig, the main character of the bodybuilding aliens book or everything falls on all the, like, you know, ABCD. What I was going to ask you before, and I almost forgot. So you were talking a little bit about a team. When you go into this, as far as you being the writer, it sounds like some companies that you write for will pair you with an artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, assuming that based off of kind of what you were talking about. Yep. And it is also difficult 
if the artist and you are not on the same page. So as a writer that you want to be kind of in control of the storytelling, right? So you want to have more of a grandiose control over what it looks and feel. Because I assume when you're writing a comic book, you have kind of some of the images in your head. Is that right? Yeah. I'll, when I when I write these things down, I write pretty detailed thing. Like it's not like Alan Moore scripts or anything, but it's not Marvel method where the the just the writer writes or the draw artist draws a panel and then you write on top of the panel. Like I have I've set things up so that I try to if I can make a page a moment make you know and stop the reader on a page instead of just cruising through it and and consuming the book as its entirety. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make your $4 as worth your $4 as, per, as as possible and looking at every issue as something that could be worth a reread. So, yeah, I, 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 there is a detail element. And I do have, you know, I, I, I'm very, I've been very lucky to work with artists who I like quite a bit. And anytime, so again, it, it comes down to this, right? Like anytime there's something that I don't like, I have to stop myself and say, but what things did this person add to this project that I didn't bring to it. And if the grand sum total puts the ledger in the positive, then Ben shuts his fucking mouth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I like that. And so you were talking about how, when you wrote your scripts, you met artists that you actually liked because you had kind of an idea of some of the artwork that you wanted in your different books. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and then sometimes like with the tattoo book, uh, this artist came up to the table at SourcePoint Press and he wanted to do something. And our editor in chief, Travis said, do something with them to me. And I said, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I, you know, I was talking to him. I was like, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm a tattoo artist. And I said, well, then let's not try to reinvent the wheel here. Like you're a tattoo artist. Let's do a tattoo art comic book. So then I wrote the entire thing based off of the knowledge that he was a tattoo artist. That's fantastic. And I, I also think, so one of the, the coolest things that I've seen in all the, the Comic-Cons that I've been to is that you write these little horror story postcards. <laughs> yeah, man, I love those things. I think it's genius uh, because it's... <laughs> Thanks, dude. It's a, a writing practice that you have like when you're in high school or in like writing college where you're writing college, like that's a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah man. But like when when... Because you do these like short stories, like you you want to maybe just like a um, a sentence story, or you want just like a paragraph story, right? And that that challenges you to get as much kind of information and atmosphere and all of those in this short truncated amount of space. Yeah, that's that's an economy of language for sure. Yeah, and I think I think it goes hand in hand with the books that you have to write because you're going to have to most of the the words in a comic book is going to be dialogue and not necessarily setup. Right, and then not to mention that, but you have you have 22 pages and that's it. So you, you right, you're already limited. So yeah, I, I, it's funny because actually when I started to move on to more novel stuff, which I've done, like I'm actually writing a seance room novel with unused scripts for the seance room um, and doing that in a prose form instead so that you can get that with like the novel uh, with the, with the graphic novel or the comics and the album. And so there's like a whole universe of stuff. Right. And um, I've realized that I have, I have to expand things because I'm so used to an economy of language. Uh, And then even more so taking it a step further of reading things. Like I, I read a lot of books and, and reading books, realizing how much fluff there is, how much filler 
not just in words, but in thought. Like I just, I read Chuck Klosterman. I read like three of his books just in a row. Right. Okay. And he's this, uh, do you know him? He's the, the rock critic. He was with spin magazine and then he did like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Killing, killing, uh, killing yourself to live. Uh, and, uh, Sex drives and cocoa pops. So I read. That's that's yeah. That's the one yeah, that yeah. I think most everybody knows. And he'll he'll tangent, but he'll tangent for an entire paragraph, and you can skip the paragraph, and it, you're no the worse for it. Uh, and I don't. That's not the way I want to work. And not to say that I I'm not even in the same world as Chuck Klosterman uh, in multiple ways. But again, it's an economy of language. So yeah, getting, getting back to this, uh, these postcards, what they are is, uh, I, I have these vintage, uh, postcards, some horror, some Houdini posters, uh, some old DC comic covers, stuff like that. And people will tell me what their fear is. And so, you know, usually I get like one or two things about them so I can kind of connect it in with what they do. Uh, and then I will on the spot, usually 10 or 15 minutes, like, you know, go walk around or depending on how many I have, uh, I'll, I'll write you your own story handwritten for you with your own fear on the back of this postcard. Actually, while this quarantine's happening, uh, that I've been doing a bunch of them for people. So I, I posted online, you know, I've, I've an Etsy shop that you can go to and it's, you know, uh, post Goldsmith postcards or some, some combination of Ben Goldsmith postcards horror will get you there and you can order them. And then, uh, I, I literally will mail them out to people. So you'll get a mail, uh, postcard, which almost never happens with a story on it just for you, which is really fun. Like I just, actually, I just sent one out the other day. Um, and <laughs> I, I got a little, I got a little creative with it. I took, um, a combination of raspberries, hot sauce, and ketchup and spelled out help in like, <laughs> in like finger writing, like it was blood <laughs> and, then, and let it dry. And it was, it's like smell. That won't freak out the postman. So (laughs) I was really worried. Yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) I just, all I can do is hope that the post office has a good sense of humor. I don't know, but maybe they do. Who knows? You know, maybe they'll just lick it and be like, Oh yeah, that's all right. (laughs) Another raspberry, (laughs) you know, uh, I've been there forever. Just licks everything. I'd be that. I would turn around and be like, why are you licking my mail? Right. right. Why are you sending this shit out? I'd be like, you didn't like it. No, I think, uh, I think it's really cool because so when you wrote mine, I don't hear from the right side. I have uh, tinnitus in my right ear. That's right. Yeah, and I remember yours. Yours was the uh, you were afraid of losing all your hearing. Yeah, yeah. And then I connected it to the like the emotional element right. of that. Right. So it wasn't because uh, the the obvious choice would have been like um, uh, you you kind of you go deaf. You can't hear music. You like music, but the then you you take it to that next level of like what's the real horror here and that the real horror is not hearing i love you from someone correct or or not not being able to just talk to another human yeah and then like for me if i lost my hearing i wouldn't be able to really do my job yeah so loneliness right like that yeah. that all like all those things track back to loneliness isolation uh, uh the human need for connection and those are the those are the interesting things too is because i think uh one one of the questions i'll ask people you know if they get them, you're feeling people out sometimes and you're like, well, do you, I mean, do you want, how much, how far do you want me to go? Is, right. Right. Know, it's right. like, do you want me to go for the teeth or do you want me to just do a fun one? Like it's your call. Cause if, if we're getting, if we're getting real, 
like I can put blood on a postcard. I can do <laughs> yeah, it exactly. Like, you, what do you want? Raspberries or you want real blood? Like, what's your what's your call? <laughs> uh, you know, because there was definitely you know I I do uh, get people who really want me to like dive in. You know, like re- they want me to. They'll 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 say like no 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 do it do it and those ones the, the just the bleak factor goes up a hundred percent but but that's not it's not to say that I like doing those those are sometimes really uncomfortable to do but I but I'll do them because that's the that's the job right like yeah. I, I I do a lot of horror conventions I love horror I love all this stuff but I think the thing that I consume the most of is like schlock I don't actually I don't like Freddy Jason. I mean, those I'll, I'll watch them, but I don't like those things. What I like is I like really campy, just over the top, dumb. <laughs> you know, so my my preference is always towards that thing. Uh, so, but yeah, people will ask, and so it's very interesting. And I think it also, you know, we talked earlier about making a connection, making a moment at these conventions, and that's certainly that will do it. I mean, that's why we're here, right? You and I. This, yeah. Yeah. This, uh, so. You know those those are really fun and uh, yeah again if anyone listening wants those they are available on uh, on my Etsy site or you can just uh, send me a message on my Instagram and we can work that out there I think I'm only for the quarantine I'm only doing like fifteen dollars for them cool okay yeah usually like right now they're like twenty uh, because yeah. it does I think at first like I think I probably charged you ten like early on because I had no idea how long they actually take to do. You know, I was like, why am I doing this for $10? Like, that's insane. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I have it hanging up. Oh, buddy, thanks. You know what? That That's one of the best compliments you could give me, man. That really makes it, I mean, because, yeah, dude. Oh, thank, and you know what? And that's the other thing is like, it, it, yeah, it's, all right, you know, I have, I'm literally looking at like a stack of prints that I've bought at Comic-Cons that I don't know what to do with. But right. then something like that, where it's, it's yours. It's you. It's, it's, there is no other one, you know, and that to me is really cool. So, yeah. And you know, that's a business side of things. That's that, that was me. And I'll tell you, because this is the ambition podcast that came from the idea that I watched artists doing commissions, making money that I wasn't making as a writer. So I, the thought was, how do I make money as a writer in a world run by artists? And so I took their lead and I figured this out and found this website in New Zealand that makes vintage postcards of really cool stuff. And yeah, ever since then, it's just been, that's, that's the thing. So that was the, that was the ambition part of it, right? It's like, I saw a problem. I saw something that wasn't, that I wasn't able to capitalize on and, and thought, well, how could I? You know, instead of just sitting back and being like, this sucks. <laughs> As a writer, are you, because we talk a lot about emotion, psychology, and all that stuff when we're doing this, right? So are you learning more about psychology while you're trying to learn different ways to write as well? Uh, that's a, I mean, that's a good question, man. I think, you know, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I will do research and things like I had no idea what cognitive dissonance was before doing research <laughs> right. on that. So, you know, you, you, if you, you know, doing research, you learn things. You but know, it's not something that you're pursuing like all the time in kind of parallel or. Yeah, I guess no more than I did before. Right. Like I've always been gotcha. pretty interested in why someone does a thing, right? Like you, okay, you go to reach for a cup of coffee and then you pull your hand back and, and change direction. And there is, an, there is a definitive reason to why that happened that way. That stuff interests me. Are you watching devs? W- w- watching what? 
devs d-e-v-s so it's on hulu and fox oh no no and they talk about that so you should watch that because they talk about that uh cause and effect oh all right and really like everything is determinism right just like what you're talking about you reach for that coffee and now you're not getting it what happened why did that happen and then what was the the actual idea behind that it's a great show i think that you'll like it oh well good to know yeah we're, i mean right now we're definitely looking for more things to watch um so yeah, uh, it's so that stuff has always interested me for sure. Uh, but I don't think, you know, that I would say that I'm a psychologist because I wrote some stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I just I I think it's always interesting because some writers put like 150 percent of their time in researching some of this stuff and kind of go into their own rabbit hole. And we we just humans by themselves, once you hook onto an idea, you can follow it all the way down if you want to. Yeah. I, it, I, the way I approach a lot of this stuff too is that I am not writing it for a person who already understands it. What I'm doing is I'm Trojan horsing ideas. I'm taking things that I might find interesting or uh, things that other people might not be willing to look at or accept and understand and making it palpable as new information, if I, if, if, if at all possible. Because I don't want to scream into the echo chamber. There's already enough of that. That makes sense. So that's – so I'll, I'll, I think – I'll probably regret saying that this because it will not hold up. But like, who fucking cares? I, I <laughs> you know, I don't ever want to write something for a, an audience who is already very well acquainted with the subject matter. Because what, what are you doing? Like, what, what's the point there? What do you? You're never gonna open up to new things or new concepts if all you're doing is writing for the people who already agree with you like that's fucking insane the the first seance room is arguably one of the most insane things to have written as a first thing to come out with there's elements of abortion in it and every time people come back up to me especially in in redder states or something because i live in massachusetts so i think it's and uh you know it's probably fairly safe to say that i'm more liberal than most people but every time someone comes up to me in a redder state or something like that who i don't know if we necessarily see eye to eye exactly on certain things there's always that moment of like oh they're gonna be fucking pissed at me for this thing right and, and you know what more than not they aren't and i think it's uh, I, and this has now been my experience after having that book out for three years so i think it's safe to say that and there's always going to be mad people, right? But like, it's safe to say that the information is presented in a way that uh, doesn't scream into the echo chamber. It's hopefully done in a way that will make you, if not agree with it, at least think differently about it. Right. And I, I, I think that first book does. I reread it today just to, to make sure I, I remembered everything. And the end of that one in particular, it's it's the same kind of theme of be careful kind of what you wish for and be careful of your own fortune Yeah, and how you get it, right? Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely classic monkey's paw horror. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and, and every time if I have to like work around it, I'm almost like, well, it's about, you know, mean what you say, which it is. But in a in this specific instance, so uh, you know. I, but again, it, it's with all that research and really focusing on a thing, you run the, uh, the very real risk of um, alienating. Yeah, correct, exactly. You you took the word right out of my mouth, perfectly. Yeah. Cool. So we're gonna wrap up with a, a couple uh, questions, if that's all right. Yeah, but perfect. Yeah, because I actually I, this is perfect timing. I gotta I gotta work. On, I'm working on a, um, a thing right now. 
where uh, it, it's this for this literary magazine. I've had this idea about a uh, a guy who it's so he's got these he was a builder an architect in central park and he built like three steps in central park which you know in the grand scheme of central park doesn't mean anything but to him it was everything and his ghost sits there and just bemoans the fact that his steps are treated so carelessly and uh (laughs) you know so and it's a it's a it's ultimately like a, a metaphor for being an artist uh, yeah, working so hard on something to sort of have it mean nothing to so many, um, even though it was everything. So, uh, right. so I'm, uh, that's what I'm working on today. And so it's this all. I think all this conversation definitely put me in the right frame of mind to work on that. Perfect. So, yeah. So anyway, but all right. Hit so me up, the hit me up those questions, man. What do you think that you've learned most about yourself throughout this journey? Uh, just thinking back between you going to LA. The, the comics, the music, and just all, all of that. What do you think that you've learned most about yourself? Uh, I need to ease up on coffee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the, I guess the thing that I've learned the most about myself, God, what a big question. And um, All the way doing everything. Uh, that I'm capable of mistakes that will not end me. That's perfect. I like that. What do you think keeps you balanced through everything, too? Because we were talking about how you're working basically three jobs between your normal nine to five, your weekend, and then also the comic conventions, plus all your writing. Mm -hmm. So how do you think keep yourself sane and balanced and able to actually live life while still trying to pursue this stuff? Uh, two, Two answers. The like the the big one would be um, my fiance and my dog because it gives me a reason outside myself to get things done either in my domestic life or in my work life um, and then my I have I may have been able to give up uh, alcohol but I am a cigar smoker so there is a mo- there is a moment in the day where I just want to sit outside and either read or stare at nothing and have a cigar and, uh, breathe. And those moments, um, that's my stealing time from the faulty plan. You know, that's where I get to take it and and I own it. And if I have those moments, uh, then I, then it's all, then it's all okay. And I can get through, but uh, that, that I will say that drinking was, the manufactured version of that, which cigars might be too. But, uh, so this year coming up when conventions start again, uh, it, it will be an interesting thing to find out how do I take those moments in a weekend of four days straight of being around people and, and, and working and, and where are those moments and how do I steal them if I can't, uh, you know, drown the feeling of sorrow. So yeah. that'll, that'll be an interesting one. We'll, we'll, we'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good challenge, but I, I think that you'll be able to, to do it. Thanks, man. If you have any tips, definitely send them my way. Yeah, because all my friends are still degenerates, so I still <laughs> see them at bars and go to shows and stuff. So I'm still around it all the time, right? Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely send me your tips. I, and, and I'm I'm only half like I'm actually not kidding at all. Like, message me whatever's helped you. I would I'll gladly take any uh, information. I got you. I'll I'll look out for you. Thank you, bud. No problem. So what do you think has kept you motivated to keep pursuing this? And do you have any kind of end goal for what you want to do? The, the motivation comes from the fact that I 
at the absolute basis level, nothing matters because I don't believe in a God. I don't believe in, you know, everything is chaos. Everything exists only because it does and for no other reason. Um, and, and if that is the case, if nothing matters, then what matters to me matters. So uh, that it's the, by that logic, creating and doing something that makes me feel good about myself and capitalizes on something that I have, I think about all the time and worry about and obsess about matters as much as anything else. So what is, what is the point of not doing it? I love it. Um, and then, uh, what was the fault? The second part? Just any kind of goals that you have coming up. I get the, so the biggest goals, obviously, you know, a couple more novels, which is, that's the focus right now. Um, then, um, television to write scripts. I just finished a radio drama for a company out in LA, uh, which they are going to be recording and putting out. So that was a good step forward in that direction. Um, but to do yeah, television scripts and more of that kind of stuff and kind of put, put back, combine the comic books and the theater together and start doing something more like that. Um, so it just means me learning the form, the format and all that, but that would, that would be the next step. That's awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this. Yeah, but thank you so much for giving me an outlet to talk during this convention. Less time and this insane time. Uh, I I do hope that your entire audience and you are all safe and uh, doing what you can to stay sane. We're trying. Thanks, man.